Hatihei Mauriora, Inga Mana, Inga Rio, Ero Rangatirama. Kia ora and welcome to Māori Initiative's podcast show, Tamangai the Mouthpiece, in association with podcast.nz. Thanks for joining us. As each week, our guests share a part of their life's journey to Te Iratangata, improve quality of life. Glad to have you with us again this week, uh, Greg and I, your hosts here from uh, Māori Initiatives Podcast Show. And again, uh, just a reminder uh, to our listeners, don't forget to download the app uh, Podcast Addicts app. Really good. Through Podcast Addicts, you can then get to us through podcast.co.nz. So that's podcast.co.nz, and in there you'll find uh, underworldpodcast.com, our Māori uh, initiatives podcast show. So great to have you with us today. Kia ora, Bruce and Marilyn. Christensen, great to have you with us in the show. Uh, finally, it's uh, it's taken a, a couple of months to get you, and I'm just really delighted uh, to have uh, our good friends uh, with us. Um, every week, Bruce, when we kick off, we have a bit of a whakawhanaungatanga. So, Bruce and Marilyn, um, tell our listeners, um, who are you and where are you from? We'll start with you, Bruce. And right. Okay. Home. So, Bruce Christensen. So, my ancestors rolled up here. Jens Loritz Christensen turned up on the Dunedin in Dunedin in 1856. Oh, so Dunedin's named after that boat. Well, I'm not quite sure which way around it goes, oh, but wow. yeah. So I had there's two interesting things because the other side of my family were Sawyers, and they turned up on the Bombay in 1860, and went and lived in Bombay. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah. okay. So, um, yeah, both sides of the family. My um, On the Sawyer side, there's a strong <coughs> Salvation Army connection. Mm. So, you know, that wove into my early childhood. My grandparents were Salvation Army officers. My, wow. um, my parents were, you know, strongly committed Salvation Army people, and um, yeah. So, so is that like pioneering? Is it quite early? Yeah, yeah. I've in got some interesting photos of my grandparents in these old cars, you know, with wooden spoked wheels and so on, on mission trips up in the north and so on. And, oh, um, oh, oh, oh. you know, interesting stories as you do have about, you know, people showing up at the door and walking away with my grandfather's shoes on, you know, and stuff like that. But I never met him because he died. Um, he died at 42, uh, dropped dead. Yeah, so um, sadly I never got to meet him. Right. Mm. So that's how you came to be here in Aotearoa. Yeah. Now, Bruce and Marilyn, I met you both first time out at Orama, uh, before Orama. I actually got invited by you to come out to Orama. I think yeah. we met at uh, BCC right. in the city. Mm. Um, so you, you've both been very active uh, for many decades out at Orama. Uh, and currently you're active, Bruce, in the Salvation Army currently in one of the divisions there? Yeah, that's correct. So yeah. I'm currently the National Operations Manager for Transitional Housing for the Salvation wow. Army. we'll dig yeah. into that, mate. Mm. So because I know a little bit about your, your life story, I just thought it would be really great to get you on the show and for our listeners to get a bit of an insight uh, into your, 
your life story. And uh, so, as I say, thanks for coming on the show for that. Mm. Um, so we're going to take a little journey. So we've just figured out we, how you got here yep. on the Dunedin in the Bombay. Yep. Um, so, Bruce, tell us, yeah, tell us your story, how you got started and uh, mm. how did you end up here where mm. we are today in 2018? Yeah, so I was um, born in Tamaki Makoura. Uh, youngest of five, and um, my mother called me her 12-month baby because um, she went to the doctor and he said, oh, I think you're pregnant, and then 12 months later I was born. So. <laughs> 12 months? <laughs> um, How does that work? Oh, oh yeah. okay. So, you know, brought up in this um, loving, you know, kind Salvation Army home, Um yeah. Cool. Um, in Sandringham, actually. Shorewell Street there, number four Shorewell Street. And, um, uh-huh. you know, um, yeah, it was, a, it was a great life. But I was a troubled soul from the beginning and uh, right. very much the, the black sheep of the family. <clears throat> Being a good Salvation Army boy, they have a strong stand about cigarettes yeah. and tobacco and... Um, and uh, alcohol and so on, and um, I was smoking cigarettes by the time I was eight and drinking alcohol as soon as I possibly could. We moved to Hamilton when I was eight years old, actually, and um, in those days I remember you could buy a packet of 10 Grays cigarettes for a shilling. <laughs> what? But you would just turn up to the shop as a 10-year-old? Yeah, well, actually, yeah, so yeah. did I. I bought yeah. the Paul Moore filter yeah. for Dad when I was eight. So, yeah, yeah you yeah, could. That's right. You just Back in that. those days, you could just mm. go and buy it at any mm. age. Right. So anyway, I started drinking um, as soon as I could. We moved to Hamilton. I went to um, what I call the two worst schools in town. When I tell people what they were, mostly they agree with me. And I gave them both a good run for their money. Did <laughs> you? <laughs> And, um, and um, yeah, that's just the way I was. I started using drugs as soon as I had the opportunity, and it was, um, it was the hippie days, you know, back then. And um, so smoking marijuana, using LSD and, you know, other things like that. And um, That's from a young age. Yeah, so really from... Probably fifteen, sixteen, right? Yeah, what? and um, I went. I had a motor. I was keen, very keen on motorbikes. I used to love motocross, um, and um, so on. And I had a, a huge motorbike accident one day and got all smashed up. And when I was in hospital, I was in um, Middlemore Hospital there in the plastic oh, surgery you, you, ward. You. you know, for four months while they were putting me back together and. Um, during that time, that was my first experience of, of hard drugs, um, morphine. And um, when I came out, I went to visit a friend's place, and he had a friend who had just got out of jail who had a pocket full of heroin, and he said, oh, bro, do you want to try this? You know, so um, I kind of thought, yeah, and um, did, and so, you know, this kind of journey mm. into darkness and drug addiction really started for me. Um, at that point, um, wow. I became addicted very quickly amongst my friends. There was this saying, you know, once you start, there's no way out. And yeah. I did not know anybody that stopped or 
didn't know anything about treatment or wow. There so how old are you there when days. you? So I'm in my that? early early twenties. Okay. Um, <clears throat> I wasn't a bad boy, but you know, my through my addiction, I ended up uh, getting uh, in the clutches of Her Majesty, and they sent me for a spell. In those days, they would commit you under the Section 48A, I think, of the Drug Addiction Act. Right. So we ended up in um, what was um, Oakley Hospital then, which was a, a forensic mental hospital, which they would send the, the drug addicts there. And I don't know if you saw One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Yeah. It was very much like that, man. You know, everybody wow. just kind of shuffled around in the same circle and you know all the junkies sat in the corner <laughs> and um and um they had this nurse patty who would come out and he would say medication medication and everybody would go shuffling across <laughs> shuffling. the floor you know oh to patty goodness. but um the junkies you know we'd say to patty oh patty patty mate i'm a bit strung out what do you reckon he said oh, i'll see what i can do and off he'd go and then he'd come out later and he'd just kind of backhand to oh, you no. and you know, give a few yeah. valiums, you know. So um, we did that to him one day, and he said, oh, I can't help you, lad. Why not, Petty? Why not? Oh, they've taken my keys off me. <laughs> I think <laughs> we figured out why they'd taken his keys off him. But, yeah, so that was um, that was it. Um, um, I was committed for two years. After three weeks, they let me out because they said, well, you know, we think you've got your head together, and we don't really know... Right. Any particular answer for drug addiction, so give it a good go, son, you know, and off you go. And, um, of course, that didn't help me very much. <laughs> no. And then I ended up in jail. Oh, okay. And I spent a year in jail. Um, and What was that like? Well, it was a breeze, actually. Uh, okay. It was yeah. just like, you know, it wasn't like, you know, those movies you see about in the States, you know, and all these hairy crumbs and so mm-hmm. on. Um, you know, I was pretty much a long-haired, peace-loving pacifist, and nobody really bothered me, and and um, so on. And and I went on this journey, and I was reading all these books about you know Eastern mysticism and stuff like that, and I felt like when I got out, everything was going to be different, right? You know, and so I was there for you know just under a year, I suppose. And then my sister came to pick me up. And she drove me home, and on this long journey home um, from Wellington, as I was driving along the road, I just kept looking around me, and I expected everything to be so different, and I just knew it's just like dawned on me during that journey, no, nothing's changed, everything's just the same. Wow. And so I ended up straight back into, you know, the the journey, and um, became desperate, I had broken relationships and things i pushed my family to the limit yeah um they never gave up on me wow but um they just hung in there and so the whanau was were always there as a support yeah yeah always there and um i um yeah broken relationships i just got to the stage where i could not see the cycle ending i couldn't see Mm -hmm. a way out and um, and so I decided that I didn't want to live. You know that life was um, was too much. I couldn't take it. And so I had two significant suicide attempts, both right. of which failed, fortunately. 
and my the people I was with they rang my family they came and got me and took me home and they put me through this um, withdrawal at home Um, and my sister who was a nurse she was the one that kind of looked after me working with the family doctor and after I started to come out of this thing I was sitting on my parents house on the back steps in the sun one day and she said she gave me this book to read it was called Heat he touched. He touched me by John Powell. Oh, right, yeah, yeah, and um, just a little book about his experience, personal experience of Christ. You know, and I found myself sitting there with tears running down my face, and um, and saying, "God, if you want my life, you better take it because I don't want it." You know. And, wow. Um, so, sorry, um, um, Bruce. So mm. you, before you were saying you when you were in prison, you were in, you got interested in Eastern mysticism. Mm-hmm. Um, so were you on a journey looking for something from that point here? So, Yeah, yeah. I mean, the whole drug journey for me was like a spiritual journey, you know. Right, yeah. yeah, We used to say, take acid and see God, you know. And um, so there was a spirituality to that that journey for me, which became incredibly dark through the, the heroin years, you know. Um, but um, <clears throat> yeah, so I, I I had that that thing. God, you take my life, and from that point forward, um, circumstances conspired together to um, to bring me to where I am now. So um, I finished my withdrawal. I was wondering what to do. I went and I looked at. <clears throat> Sorry, you finished your withdrawal. What's my, my the withdrawal program Depend- that they put me oh, through right, at home? Okay. So it was about a week, you know. And um, when I came out of that, um, I still had this craving to use, and I couldn't see how I could stop. And I was actually starting to use again. Yeah, I was going to Scientologists. I went to gurus. You know, just looking at all these people <clears throat> who professed to be able to help in some way or other. The Scientologist guy came and saw me, and um, he said, um, "Oh, yeah, we can help, man. We put you on this course of magnesium and all sorts of stuff, and you know you'll be right." And <clears throat> I said, "So has it worked for you?" He said, "Yeah, it worked for me, man." He said, "I was so desperate, I was even prepared to try God, but I found this instead." And I said to yeah. him, "It's really funny the things you come out with sometimes, eh?" I said to him. Ah, oh, this is not for me, man, because for me, I just have this feeling I know God's got to be involved in it somehow, otherwise it's not wow. going to work. So um, my sister had a friend who had been to this place called Orama, and she came and talked to me about... It's Great Barrier, right? Eh? Great Barrier. Mm-hmm. And she talked to me about this place, Orama, where they ran a rehabilitation program, and... Um, so my parents rang Arama and they said, can you take Bruce? And they said, oh, we're closed for summer, but, you know, put him through a, a, re- re- a, a, sorry, a withdrawal in a hospital and then he can come to us, you know. So I did that and went to, uh, to this place called Arama. And I actually ended up first in their halfway house in Auckland and I met the founders, Neville and Dot Winger. Right, yeah. and um, when I saw Dot, I just saw she had these just incredibly, like, smiling eyes, you know. And I just remember thinking to myself, whatever it is that that lady's got, that's what I need. So I went to see Nev Winger, 
And he said, so Bruce, are you a Christian? And I said, oh, yeah, sure, I'm a Christian. Christian country, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. And I thought about it for a second, and I said, oh, what's a Christian? And he said, um, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away, and everything has become new. What immediately flashed into my mind was that journey from jail to home where I expected everything mm. to be so different and it was all the same and he was saying there is a way for everything to be new, you know. So I said, yeah, that's what I want. So um, I committed my life to Christ and had a profoundly life-changing experience. Wow. This is with Neville Winger, with the, Neville Winger. The, the founder of the Orama. That's right. Mm. Okay. Mm. Wow. So then, um, you know, I was there for a few weeks in the halfway house there, and then they sent me over to the to the barrier, and um, and the journey began. Um, I had made a commitment to Christ, but that doesn't mean that um, everything was suddenly all rosy. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> hey, and uh, I'd like to say it's true the fact that I gave them a really good run for their money um, over there too. I was um, I was never a, a, a like a bad person, a nasty person, but you know I was I was screwed up, and I would go day by day, and I would just like get through one day at a time. You know, it's a, it's the old cliche, but it really worked for me. I would yeah. literally be hanging in there to get to four o'clock because once you got to four o'clock, there right. were no more planes, so you couldn't leave. And so, oh wow, you know, I would I would be there and. Um, be able to relax and start again afresh the next day and it was um it was quite a journey for me there were some things that really helped there was this um there was this girl there with a lovely smile um who used to bring me plates of um melting moments and custard squares you know all beautifully oh, home, homemade and so on and after a while i figured out that no one else was getting them <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Marilyn had figured out early that the way to a man's heart is through his What's stomach. that about, Marilyn? Come on, <laughs> grab that microphone. What am I? <laughs> he needed some nutrition, did he? <laughs> Come on, Marilyn. So, Custard um, squares. Yeah, so we, um, yeah, we, first of all, we became very good friends. And we'd go fishing together and have long conversations and so on. And then um, I um, I cut my arm badly on the firewood saw one day and um, Marilyn came rushing in to see me. Right. And at that moment we both realised, oh, actually there's something going on here. Oh, so, cool. uh, As I, you're patching up his arm. Yeah. Actually, I was working in the kitchen at the time and um, one of his friends came and said that Bruce had cut his arm badly on the saw and it, my heart jumped beats and I realised then that I actually felt a lot more for him than just being a mate. And so it, oh, wow. it went on from there. What was your actual role? Were you like a... Sorry. I was, an, the, I was just the cook. You were the cook. Okay. Yeah. All right. So mm. <laughs> That's right. Because yeah. yeah. I, I find it always very interesting that um, you know I would have asked that question anyway, Bruce. You know, you obviously didn't walk this journey alone, mm. but some people have to walk the journey alone, or they don't get that opportunity for whatever reason. Or 
you know, life is, is what it is and, mm. and how you can encourage people in that situation when often they do have to walk alone for quite some time mm. um, because it is such a blessing to have somebody with you yeah. who mm. walks these journeys in the tough times. Mm. So, uh, yeah. Kia ora, absolutely. I'll ask you that question. Mm. So I'm really glad yeah. 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 certainly a journey to healing usually requires others to be a part of it. So yeah, well, yeah. 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 So, um, Marilyn, how long had you been at Orama then? What, what, what year or decade are we in here? I first went there in 1978 and Bruce turned up in 79. Oh, okay. So I had done a year of Bible school first. Oh, wow. Okay. So you're just working in the kitchen, but you're working in the kitchen there full time? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Mm, right. Well, I was the afternoon cook because afternoon I was in Bible school in the yeah, morning, so yeah, then I yeah. did the afternoon shift. Oh, right. Yep. And you're there, Bruce, as part of the program for... Rehabilitation, oh, correct. Okay. Yeah. 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 And can I just say also, oh. my, my feelings are that um, that potentially um, he wasn't a good Christian boy that you would traditionally find in church. <laughs> I Whereas I, I, I have the feeling you were an incredibly beautiful person to start with, right? So, and, and just you know, your life as a, you were serving already in God's house in that in that way. Right. As opposed to somebody that was in need of feeding. Well, I'd probably I had my own story to of tell. Course. And so I'd yeah. come from um, yeah. my own journey and so I probably wouldn't have gone for a, ch- a churchy boy anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. No, that's right, good. Right. That's good. <laughs> yeah, no, it's always interesting because there's always two parts to any story and um, mm. you know, it's like that journey however you get there together is, is pretty awesome. Yeah, and how many years later are we talking now? If that was in '78, <clears throat> we're coming. We'll be 40 years next year. Oh, Incredible. fantastic, mm. fantastic! So we're we're talking to Bruce and Marilyn Christensen here on Māori Initiatives. If you're listening in, and uh, we have the privilege of uh, hearing Bruce and Marilyn talk about their life journey, in particular, Bruce is um, sharing some really um, pretty deep things, really. You know, but a lot of people go through it. You know, and mm. uh, so I, I just want to commend you for coming on the show just to share that. Uh, it's yeah. we're really honoured to receive that. Mm. And if you're listening in, um, there's some really encouraging things being shared here tonight. So get your pen and paper out, take a few notes, or have a conversation with someone in the family. You know, and uh, that's what the show is about. Uh, to at um, promoting positive values. So uh, here you are, Bruce. You're in this most amazing place, Obama. I've, I've had the privilege of being there with you many times. Yeah. Uh, it's idyllic. It's like a mini Hawaii. It's, uh, it's, it's <laughs> that's, how, that's how I see it. It's incredible. Yeah, it is in the summer, Steve. In yeah. the summer, yeah. And I've seen it in the typhoon season. <laughs> yeah. As yeah. well. So, Bruce, uh, we're, we're somewhere in the 70s. You're, mm. you're recovering, but then there's this new relationship. So, yeah. what, what hap- what's going on next? What happens yeah. next? So, well, I actually went across in the march in the first intake of what they called Seekers on the Seeker program at okay. that particular time. And there was a number of guys <clears throat> who were coming out of addictions at that time. And they all left. And, um, and um, for me, although the temptation was there to go and I had to fight against it every day, I really felt that I was there by the grace of God and that if I wasn't there, I was literally dead because I was taken from that suicidal place. And there was nothing for me to go back to, you know. So, you know, it was it was forward or nothing. And Arama in those days was an incredibly, it was like a, 
pioneering place. You know, there's no power. Diesel engines. There except you make it, what you make yourself. You know, you run your own water system, your own sewage system. And here we are in this community of 100-odd people. And um, there was just incredible adventures to be had. Um, projects and, you know, building programs and all sorts so of you, things. So that's what you did. You got stuck in. And so just, I just threw myself into wow. that and our relationship grew. Um, they had very interesting controls on relationships over there, but after a while they decided that actually it was probably a good idea. And oh, okay. um, and we were married at the end of that year and we left. Wow. And uh, went to live in Hamilton. So um, in Hamilton I was trying to get a... Um, an electrical apprenticeship, and I couldn't couldn't get it nailed. And Nev Winger came to visit one day, and I said, "I'm trying to get this thing done, and I don't know. Yeah. I can't get this apprenticeship, and mm-hmm. I don't know whether I should be going back to Arama or or what we should be doing." And he said, "You know what? If if God doesn't want you somewhere, He won't let you put roots down. You know." And right. so. Um, we spent that year in Hamilton, and at the end of that time, we had the real conviction that God was calling us to go back to Arama to join the staff over there and, um, and you know, serve him in that place. And so off we went, and we, wow. uh, we ended up there for seven years and had two and a half children <laughs> at the time <laughs> we left. But it was an incredible time of growing... <clears throat> Um, in the faith for me, and there were some a number of people who really kind of stimulated that, who were key influences <clears throat> on me at that point. One of those people was Nev Winger, and I could remember uh, occasionally I would go up to his. He had this little office in the back of his house, right. and um, say, so, you know, I really need to know about this, or I really need to know what to do, and so on. And, and his always his answer was always. You go and ask God, he'll tell you, and then come back and tell me what he said, you know. So right. it was kind of like, although he had this, you know, he was revered as a very prophetic man, his his first response was always to push you back onto God. So, um, so um, yeah, it was an incredibly growing time. I did, I went through the Bible school at that time. Okay. And um, that was quite a demanding, <laughs> yeah. Demanding process, which I loved, and got to know um, scriptures. Oh, I'd love to know them better, but I got, you know, a right. good grasp on um, some aspects of that. And there was another guy called Win Fountain, and so one day I, oh, yeah. I was at that stage I'd become the workshop supervisor, so I kind of ran all the mechanical, electrical, plumbing, right. yeah. and stuff for the the whole place. And I was giving my report to the AGM. And the trustees were there, and Wynne Fountain was one of the trustees. And I mentioned in my report that none of our tractors had safety frames on. They were real old dungers, believe me. And um, and Wynne Fountain said, so you're telling me these tractors aren't safe? And I said, yep. And he said, so get some new ones. And I said, oh, we, we don't have any money. He said, don't tell me your problems. Just pray it in, you know. This is your job. Classic wind fell today. Yeah, yeah. So, um, I mean, he was very nice about it, but, um, you know, the challenge was thrown out, you know. So I thought it really made me think, oh, okay, 
pray stuff in because at that stage everyone that lived at Arama lived there by faith or they call it faith but um, we called it um, living by grace because often the faith ran out but God was always gracious and faithful so um, I thought oh praying in a tractor I haven't done that before so I went down and I would look in the Herald in those days they had ads for stuff machinery for sale in the Herald on Saturday mornings I looked in the Herald and I saw this tractor and I said, God, that is the perfect tractor. But it's $14,000, you know, which was like a fortune in those days. So that's too much. So I just kept on looking week after week after week. And every week that tractor was in there and it was in there for six months. And then I took it to the director at the time, Gary Winger, and I said, look, Gary, this tractor's been in here for six months and believe me it's the perfect tractor he said oh where is it and I said it's in Wellsford of all places and he said oh I know someone up there I'll get them to go and have a look at it and so there was a group of um, Christian businessmen up there that had a right a, um, contracting business up there so anyway they rang back in a couple of days and said oh yeah we've been and had a look at the tractor uh, it's a beauty you know so we brought it out of our out of our trust fund, oh, they and it, it. it's coming on the barge um, next week, and you guys can pay us back, you know, like over ten years or something like that. So this beautiful tractor turned up, and and my wow. my heart soared, you know, as you can imagine, just like this journey of faith, seeing the possibilities, and um, I like that, eh? Because mm. often we hear about faith as some sort of butterfly in the sky kind of yeah. thing that you go, actually, what is that? And uh, so really great to hear mm. the reality of you talking about faith for a tr- humble tractor. Yeah. And <clears throat> then that translates into the tractor. Mm. Oh, it was but an awesome tractor. you had tractor. to take the step with an awesome <laughs> tractor. Oh, well, there yeah. you go. So yeah. that's faith in action. Faith in action, yeah. Okay, okay, cool. So One journey. So just mm. just retrack here. So you come to the island to get off drugs, mm. fall in love, get married, have a couple of kids. Now you're back as a leader. Go through a college Bible college course, and now you're the one of the managers. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, one of the staff. All at Arama. Yeah. All at Arama. Yeah. So I want to go back a bit because when we were in Hamilton and we were thinking, oh, God wants us to go back to Arama. This is the first time we went back. I rang my sister, who was, she's died now, unfortunately, but she was... What was her name? Judith. Judith. Lovely Christian woman. And and I know that she said this out of concern for me, but I said to her, oh, we're going back to Arama, you know, and she said, ah, you'll always be a builder's labourer, you'll never own your own home, you know, because she didn't want us to go and just kind of give give our lives away for nothing, you know, so... um, Marilyn and I looked at each other and we thought, well, if that's the price of serving God, then that's what we want to do, you know. And I was reading in in Mark, and I can't remember the reference now, but I found the scripture that said, if any man forsakes his father, his mother, his sister, his brother Mm. for my sake, they will receive a hundredfold in the present age as well as in the age to come. So we just kind of thought... God, you're able to do this, whatever it takes. And so off we went. So after six years, or seven years actually, back at Arama, our oldest child was, you know, turning five, about ready to go to school. And um, 
So we thought, oh, it's time for us to go. So a, a guy that I knew had, had met at Arama heard that we were thinking about leaving, and he said, oh, you better come and talk to us. And so I went and had an interview and then ended up with a job as a factory manager for this aluminium joinery factory. Right. And, um, and just God has a way of providing with amazing detail the things we need you know we 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 met another guy who said oh i've got a just bought a house there and i live in the manse and he was the presbyterian minister and i need someone to live in my house and look after it so we rented his house and you know all this stuff and and um so i wasn't a builder's laborer i was you know a factory manager no less wow. um, so um and then we had this real conviction on our heart that god wanted us to build a house and so we tried to save money. We had a third child by then, um, single-income family, couldn't save a penny. Wow. Sounds a familiar story these days, eh? Oh, yeah. Could not save a penny, you know, and most people our age had houses, you know, at yeah. that stage. But um, So we would go, when we would walk around, and I'm talking over a couple of years, we'd walk around the real estate shops and look at the pictures in the window, and we'd even talk to the agents sometimes. Anyway, we must have talked to this guy, and he rang Marilyn one day when I was at work and said, look, there's a section coming on the the market. It's not, the subdivision hasn't gone through yet, but it will come on the market. It'll be $45,000. Would you guys like to look at it? Right. So Marilyn had a look, and she rang me at work and said, oh, there's this section, do you want to go and look at it? And we thought, oh, if we could buy a section and then pay it off, then we might be able to build a house, you know. So I went and here's this paddock. It's got two horses on it, trees all around it, and a gate. I swing open the gate and walk in, and as my foot touches the ground, I hear this voice in my head saying, this is your land, I give it to you. So we thought, oh, cool, God's going to give us this land, you know. So we said to the guy, yeah, we're really interested. When the subdivision comes through, yes, we want to buy it, you know. Mm-hmm. Didn't have a penny. <laughs> oh, um, you've got no money. Got no money. Oh, right. Uh, this is one of those fake yeah. actions yeah, you were yeah, doing uh, before. Just a, a mere technicality. Oh, you're trying but, it out again. <laughs> um, so, um, so we think, oh, God's going to give us this land. How can we help him out, you know. So we went to some friends of ours and said, would you guys like to buy half? Because it's quite a big piece of land. And um, and you can pay you know, your part and mm. we'll pay our bit off. You know, That'll be the deposit. And they said, yeah, yeah, we'll do that. And and then this subdivision took a long time. It was actually over a year that it oh, took. Right. And they got sick of waiting and they left town. So then we tried to find some other friends to do the same thing, and they said, yeah, 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 and then changed their minds. Right. And so we're still sitting here waiting for this thing to come through, and we still haven't been able to save any money. And then we get a call one day saying, oh, the subdivision's coming through. You'll have to come in next week, sign the papers, and pay the deposit. And we had nothing. And so I went to church that Sunday. And the pastor at the time said, I just feel like there's some people that need to stand up and make some declarations. Here's the pulpit. Do it. And he'd never never done that before. And so I walked up the front, you know, feeling like a complete idiot. All right. And said, uh, God told us he's going to give us this piece of land. Because he spoke to you, eh? Yeah. When you you stepped on the He told us he's going to give us this piece of land. And uh, I believe he's going to provide 
and we have to pay it next week. And I went and sat down, you know, with my face all red, you know, <laughs> feeling like a bit of a dickhead. <laughs> And um, anyway, this oh, okay. woman in the church came up to us and said, oh, do you want to come home to our place for lunch? You know, which we wasn't unusual. That's the way we did it in, in that church. And so we went home. She was a widow. Her husband had been a dairy farmer and sadly had died young and she'd sold the farm and had an insurance payout and had some money. And she said, I want to loan you the money interest-free, $45,000. Here it is. Go and, go and buy the land. So... We were just like absolutely shocked. All and right, so um, just in case we didn't get that, yeah, this is one of those kind of whacked out faith things. Yeah. So you've just, yeah, you walked on the Fenua, you heard mm-hmm. what God speak to you that you were going to get that land, yeah, but you don't have no money, yeah, and you go to church and you get up and you say that, and then the money comes, yeah. Yeah. Like that Sunday, before, sorry, did you say it had to be the week before the signing of the papers and stuff? Yeah, yeah, that was the Sunday. So this is before. all happening within that time. Yeah, that, so that next week we oh, had what to a go fluke, eh? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> what a fluke! Circumstantial. Yeah. Well, I had this friend, you know, Hugh Brading, and he was my home <laughs> group even. leader when I first went to Arama, and he had this saying. He said, "Your God shall supply all your needs according to His riches and glory in the nick of time." So um, that was certainly in the in the nick of time for wow. us. Um, so you know we were able to get that, and we were able to use that as collateral and get a home loan, and um, and we ended up building a house. But we were so poor that we couldn't afford to pay the rent and pay the mortgage as well. So we had what we did was I had a friend who was a builder. He was coming to build at labour only. So you're sorry, sorry, you're renting the house that. You were paying the mortgage on? No, we're oh, renting a house. Oh, somewhere else. Yeah. And you've got the And we borrow money to build a house on this piece of land. What's that like, Marilyn? What was that tough? No, not really. No, you managed. <laughs> Bruce did all that. <laughs> just th- we just thought it happened that way. You just tap, yeah. So, okay. so I had to order all the materials on the first of the month. It meant I didn't have to pay till the 20th of the following month, and right. we had to be moved in by then because I couldn't pay the rent and the mortgage at the same time. So. So we smacked this house up, and we said to Marilyn, well, we have the bathroom, the laundry, and the kitchen finished, and we can work on the rest while we're in it. So okay. that's what we did. I want to get Marilyn's perspective here. I mean, this is amazing. Yeah, it was. It was very amazing. Yeah. So what was it like for you? Yeah, okay, amazing. I mean, going through that, did you have... Um, I wasn't... It didn't worry me. I was just... You know, I guess we'd lived our lives with God providing. I mean, our our first provision um, was actually before we were married. Um, we were offered a place to go and live in Hamilton. We rented there for a year, and it was a couple, um, Des and Avis Reed, and they were going over to Fiji to run a bookstore. And they said, look, the only thing we haven't got is a double bedroom suite. We've graduated to single beds. And we had been given a double bedroom suite. Oh, wow. And, you know, so we've seen God provide right from the right. very start of our marriage. And so I guess guess God wants us to expect that he will come through. And a lot of time, you know, we sort of think, oh, we can't ask for this, we can't ask for that. But in actual fact, he wants us to and expect that he's going to provide. 
Right, so. so in a housing crisis currently in 2018 where a vast majority of Kiwis, even those listening into the program right now, uh, can't, can't get into a first home. Mm. Mm. So a uh, pretty remarkable account. Um, mm. It's a remarkable story, but I'm also painfully aware of the current situation mm. because I'm currently you know, working national manager, operations manager for transitional housing, which is people. In emergency situations, you yeah, who coming in got nowhere to live, and we're able to provide, um, you know, social workers to give wraparound services to help people transition from you know their homelessness into some kind of a permanent living situation. So, I know you know the story might sound like a bit um, annoying to some people whose situation is very different. Yeah, but it's, sure. But it's just our story. It's the way God's yeah. provided for us. It was the journey he led us on, you know. So, mm. And um, pretty exciting, but also pretty nerve-wracking and lots of anxiety, as you can imagine. What am I going to do next week? They want the money and wow. I've got nothing, you know. And so, um, yeah. Yeah, well, Marilyn, just, mm. it's just flowing like water from her perspective. <laughs> well, yeah, well, and, yeah. and no. from, from mm. this other perspective of yeah. the reality of that. Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry, Marilyn, I'm not saying your reality is any lesser, by the way. It's just you make No, it. I mean, for me, well, I had to wait until we'd been married 10 years and had um, four, kids. four kids before we ever had our own home. But living on the barrier, our first place was a little four-roomed place that um, had lino that lifted up in the middle of winter when the wind blew and there was no bathroom inside so we had to take the children outside to bath them and so I guess the the thing on my heart after 10 years was God I want my own place Mm. you know I want to be a mum and a wife and a house Mm. homemaker and so you know we'd served all those years and we'd gone from house to house but it's it's not your own house Mm. Mm. Um, so we 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 did sort of go through those different places. Mm. Yeah. And I think also the, the conversation we're having here to this evening is about serving, right? Your guys' life since you've met each other has been about serving others. Mm. And, mm. Um, you know, that's what God honours. Mm. I think if the story was different and it was about self, then maybe God's hand doesn't stretch out so far sometimes because he needs us to understand that, um, you know, that, it's about others. That's that's what we're here for in many cases, be it mm. our own kids initially and providing, as you say, a home um, and then being able to give out from the excess of that love or that, that situation. But with that comes a lot of sacrifice and mm. you know, a lot of, like you say, anxiety. If you're going to serve others, it's never easy. Yeah. And if it is easy, you're probably not serving the right people. Mm. So uh, it's a real testament, and I, and I can see why God would allow that blessing in your guys' lives because from the outset it's been about others. So, mm. you know, um, mm. and for people listening, not everyone listening understands the God conversation. They understand the complexities and the problems of life right now. And, and Hand to mouth, yeah, Monday to right. Friday, man. But ultimately yeah. there's, a, there's a conversation here, you know, for those people listening who may be in that situation that, you know, as we suggest on the show just about every week, if we start to look outwardly and think of others, then our own situation often will change. And you can walk that, walk that journey with family. If you don't have family, God is always there. If you believe him or not, it doesn't make any difference. He's always there. Mm. Um, and you can choose to walk that with him. Um, but it's very hard when you walk by yourself under your own strength. 
and it's all about yourself. That's yeah, the part that breaks down, and that's kind of where we're yeah, at. And at, that's uh, what we're hearing tonight. Right. You know, mm. We're hearing about the story of someone mm. coming to that place and making choices, mm. being confronted with choices head on. Uh, well, from my, my perspective, not with nowhere else to turn but yeah. up. Yeah. Because I had that key moment where I said, God, if you want my life, you better take it because I don't want it, you know. And I've had my moments in life, but I've never been tempted to take it back, you know, because I, I know that the journey that I was on, you know, the destination was death. And so the journey when I gave my life into his hand is a journey into life. So you had you to know? give something up there. Yeah, yeah. Well, what did you give up? Well, my sovereignty, I suppose. Yeah. So since that day, basically, apart from a short period in business, and even then we had kind of service-oriented lives, we've, we've worked in social service of one form or another, you know, yeah. Yeah. our whole lives. Yeah. Wow. wow. So I'll carry on with the story. So we're in this house, and it's flipping awesome. <laughs> and this land is, is, bet it is this land is beautiful, yeah. and we finish it slowly and get it painted and so on. And you know we're involved in church, doing worship leading and stuff, and four kids, all the stuff of life. You awesome. know, it's just crazy and hectic. And and then God leads me to leave the factory and to start a business. You know, doing um, contracting, coatings, and so on. Right, and. Um, and that's all going well, but nevertheless, all this time in my heart, there's this kind of deep hunger and desire to be serving God, you know. It just kind of was pulling on me, and we both kind of felt, we didn't kind of articulate it at this time, but felt, well, the house is beautiful, and it's wonderful, but it's only a house, right. you know. And in our hearts was this just this earnest desire to, to serve God, and um, so... I did things like I went to the Bible College of New Zealand, it was called in those days, and right, yeah, I had a look at the courses and looked at the accommodation there and stuff like that, and you know, we were looking at other th- various different things, and, um, and um, I went to, there's this guy called Andy Park, who's an American Christian musician, worship leader, he came over and, and some friends took me to this concert, and he said, I really feel like there's people here that have got this call of God on their lives and they need to respond. And, you know, I went up and for me there was this cry in my heart, here I am, God, send me, you know. Wow. Like, like, um, yeah, the words of, who was it? Isaiah. Yeah. 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 Hang on a minute. So, What's this cry of the heart thing? Yeah, so this is just this motivation of my heart. You know, I just... Um, didn't want, I did not find the run of the mill thing, running a business and having a house <clears throat> satisfying. <clears throat> Excuse right, me. Right. I just, I just had this thing that I wanted to reach out in God and, and, um, and to serve Him with whatever that meant. I wanted to discover what that meant. Right. So, um, when we left Arama, we'd left <clears throat> with no intention of ever going back. Um, ah, okay. We wanted to go on to other things, but a friend who was the director there rang us and said, "Oh, we're having this 
event at Arama, you know, Arama's changing and we need to rebuild again. And would you just come and spend a week with us and pray with us about the future of Arama? So, like fools, we did. <laughs> and we went out there and we had this time of prayer. <clears throat> and I remember, because Marilyn had said, I never want to go back to that place. I don't want to live in community again. <laughs> and one of the things we've learned then is to never say never. Never <clears throat> So what happened, Marilyn? So we Did stood on back? the wharf. We stood on the wharf one day, and um, and Marilyn said, oh, "I don't like this feeling." And I said, "What feeling's that?" She said, "The feeling that we could come back here." So we had that week there, and we went. Hang home. on a minute. Hang on a minute. That uh, Marilyn's in the room. I'm going to ask you, Marilyn. Yeah, no, no. I mean, just let me yeah, finish a couple of seconds, and then, and then I'm going to hand it over go. to her. Yeah. So we went home, and I was self-employed at the stage with this business. So I spent the morning at home, and I said, "Well." We looked at each other and said, well, I suppose we'd better ask him, meaning ask God what he wants us to do. So we went, Marilyn went into the lounge to pray and to seek God, and I went into the bedroom to pray and seek God, and we decided we'd come back and um, you know, share what we felt God had been saying. And I was reading wow. at that stage in Isaiah, and I can't remember, it's Isaiah 62 or somewhere around there, <clears throat> And I opened my Bible, and this is my my reading, you know, the next bit coming up, and it says, Depart, depart, go out from there, <laughs> you who carry the vessels of the Lord. Go into the hills and get timber and come and rebuild the house of the Lord. And I just thought, wow. Oh. And then Marilyn can tell you here a bit. Okay. Um, mine was in Haggai, and it said, Who are you to dwell, who are you to dwell in the panelled house? Um Go up into the go up into the mountains and and um, oh. while the house of the Lord lies desolate. Well, while the house of the Lord lies desolate, go up. Mine said, go up into the hills and, and gather wood, and I'll rebuild. But it was like for me, I'd said, if God oh. wants me to go back, He has to ride it in the sky. I need lightning in the sky. And I, you know, when it, it was like, well, who are you? And I couldn't, I couldn't honestly say pardon lord i didn't hear that you know i knew that he was saying because he had given me my heart's desire he'd given me this beautiful house but it was just a building mm-hmm. and so as bruce said you know we wanted more it wasn't satisfying that yearning within us you know and it was like thank you father you've you've given me that desire but here we are you know um, right. and yeah so you know so you're in the lounge you get that verse yep Yep. Oh, hang on. You're not adding anything to this, right? Because no. it sounds a little bit wack- no, back to, like to one of Bruce's wackies. So you're in the bedroom and you get that. There. And you're in the lounge and you get that. And it's basically the same thing. Mm. Yeah. But prior oh. to that, when we were over there and I was standing on the wharf and I said to Bruce, I don't like this feeling, um, oh. I had also said, oh, well, if, if we were to come back, then the children, because we had our kids with us, and so they were loving it over there. You know, it's paradise, the water, mm. you know, everything. Mm. And I thought, well, the children have to be happy. And each one during that week came up and said, can we come and live here? Can we come and live here? You know, without really knowing what they were saying. Oh, wow. <laughs> but, um, you know, that was just confirmation because, you know, when you do big moves and your kids are a certain ages, you've got to have that buy-in. They've got to be happy, you know. Right. Um, so they were all on board. Back to you. Hang on, I'm I'm still just freaking out. You're in one room, get this virtually the same verse. I'm going to look and then up, you're, actually. And your own kids. All then confirm. Can we go to what a Rama and hang out? Yeah, yeah. 
And so we went and shared with the guy who was the pastor at the church, and he said, yes, I get a witness to that. And there's another guy who had a prophecy over us. Yes, you are to go. So you try and and test it out. So everything's just kind of lining up. See if it's legit. It's all like straight as an arrow, man, and there's no way we can avoid it. (laughs) Wow. So So back you went to Rama. So I sold my business. We rented our house and... um, Threw all our, all our stuff on the boat and headed back to to the barrier. And we, our intention at that stage was to go for two years because our friend was a director over there and, right. um, and you know, it was kind of rebuilding. So we'll help rebuild because we know how the place works. You know, we'll help rebuild and then we'll go. Um, little did we know that our friends were really burnt out. Oh, right. And just hanging on, really, waiting for us to come and support them. And um, so we'd only been there a couple of months and we were asked to take a leadership role in the community and and then um, appointed as resident directors. So um, Of Orama. Of Orama. So the other, the other journey uh, continued. So we had, um, yeah... All sorts of um, amazing adventures and um, and acts of faith and um, you know answers to prayer over um, over another seven years. Oh, Roma. so you're there for another seven years? Another seven years on top yep. of the prior seven yep. years, yeah, with yep. a couple of gap yep. years in yep. the middle. And it's all voluntary. Don't forget. And um, also, you know, the tenants had left our house. And you got four kids. We got four kids, and the tenants left our house, and so we we kind of thought, oh, we can't really manage this. It's too hard from yeah. overseas, so wow. to speak. So <laughs> we um, we sold it and um, and had this little nest egg, and then so you know, the, going back to that word, my sister said, you know, you'll always be a builder's labourer. You'll never own your own home. You know, yeah. And, um, we saw God answer. You know, amazingly. Um, yeah. Yeah. Amazing provision. So don't believe so, everything you're told. Yeah. That's sucking yeah, everything, eh? Yeah. Well, I mean, we, we, we believed it. But we're, no, we didn't believe it, but we're prepared to accept it. The thing that was in our heart was, if that's what it costs to follow our hearts and to serve you, God, then that's what we'll do, you know. Um, I think if we're still in that situation now, it would be a pretty tough pill to swallow. But, mm, yeah, mm. but that was where our hearts were at. You know, we're just yeah. full of... Full of faith and optimism, and <laughs> and off it's, we went. So then we left Arama. So I said to my our same sister, I rang her up and said, "Oh, we're thinking, yeah, we're about to leave Arama again. Um, what are we? What are we going to do? You know?" Um, and she said, um, she rang me back a couple of days later and said, "Oh, I was just talking to someone in the Salvation Army, and they're looking for someone." And they said, "Why don't you?" Um, Give them a call. You right. Know? So I gave this guy a call, and he said, oh, yeah, we're looking for an assistant director for the, the bridge program, which is their addictions program, in Auckland City. So come and come and see us. So I went to see this guy, and um, they were asking me all sorts of questions. So what do you know about comorbidity and, um, you know, <laughs> dual yeah. diagnosis and stuff like yeah, this? Yeah. And I was just saying, oh, man. I've just worked on the island. <laughs> We're simple folks, country folks out there, yeah. you know, but um, they saw something in me. So I was appointed the assistant director at Auckland Bridge through an amazing uh, period in time where we um, established a, 
or implemented a new model of care, um, established a new database um, system. Um, we had this big centre on Rotorua Island, uh, addictions treatment centre on Rotorua Island, but you know at that time the funding from government was signalling we want to move away from the institutional model. Mm-hmm. You know, so we ended up shutting that island down. And starting two new centres, um, one in Manukau and one in Waitakere. So we actually ended up with more treatment beds in the communities where people needed them, wow. you know, rather than this place out on the island. So for a guy who's a project manager at heart and revels and that sort of stuff, it was like amazing for me to, you know, to, wow. to end up there and to be paid you know, for serving God was like you know, a novel thing for me. And... Um, and um, and we um, we used the money that we had, and we bought ourselves a house in Mount Roskill, and um, and you know, ten years I was there, ten and a half years. Wow! And um, it was quite a journey. Yeah. And you're back there now, aren't you, with the Salvation Army? So yeah. Now so so I was so I was ten years in the addiction stream, and then um, halfway through that time. Um, the same same guy actually who lured me back to Arama the previous time, right? Said uh, rang us up and said, "Oh, Arama's in a bit of a crisis. You know, um, it's fallen apart. You know, in the intervening years, and and we need to uh, we need to call an emergency meeting of previous directors. You know, so Arama's in constitutional crisis. The trust board had been kind of." valiantly trying to keep this thing going and had run out of steam and they wanted to resign. So they appointed a new trust board and, and asked me to be the chairman. So um, <clears throat> so about wow. halfway through my time at Aram, at um, the Salvation Army at the British right. Centre, I end up being the chairman of Arama again. Not again, but the, yep. involved with Arama again as the chairman. <clears throat> determined that I'm never going back there, but you know, uh, committed uh, enough to yeah, really sure, want to sure. be able to help. You know, so at that time we entered into a new agreement with um, what was then the Sir Edmund Hillary Outdoor Pursuit Centre. Yeah, to wow. set up a program there at Arama, and wow. we got you know some staff to go there. And um, I was determined at that point that we would never ask people to work there for nothing again. And make the same okay. commitment and the same sort of sacrifice that we had made, you know. So right. um, we had an amazing outpouring of capital. You know, we were raising money from the what was then called the ASB Charitable Trust, and um, you know, all sorts of philanthropic mm. philanthropic um, trusts and so on to to get Arama started again, and. Um, and it was going quite well, and um, at that time, I found out that I had hepatitis C, and um, the likelihood was that I'd got it the day I was born. Right. Because oh. I was an RH baby, which meant I had a different blood type to my okay. mother. Yeah. So they were just finding out about that sort of stuff oh, in wow. those days, and they... Um, <clears throat> So they were prepared. So when I was born, they rushed me away and, you know, I had blood transfusions. And then I had about two years, the first two years of my life was like serious jaundice, you know, which to me, 
50 years later I find out I've got hep C and think that's probably when I got it. Wow. Let alone throw into that, you know, a few years of intravenous drug use. But the fact that I had jaundice at that time, and it kind of began to make sense to me why I was like the black sheep of the family, you know, because I was taken from my mother. She didn't see me for two days. Oh, wow. I had all this stuff done to me, you know. So if you didn't learn things about attachment theory and, you know, stuff like that, you know, mm. um, I was kind of set up. But also I had this real conviction that actually God was acting to preserve my life even then, you know, because wow. my <clears throat> one of my cousins was born just a couple of months before me and they didn't know that he was RH. And he, so he was born... They weren't ready to give him a blood transfusion. He had serious brain damage and died, oh, wow. I think, before he was two. And it was that that caused my mother to go and get tested, and they discovered that that you know, was the case with me. Well, her okay. previous four children wow. had been fine, but I would have died if that hadn't happened. So I just kind of have the sense right from the beginning of my life that God's been looking after me. Wow. So I've got hep C. Um, I'm working at the Salvation Army. I'm the chairman of Arama. It's all happening out there, <clears throat> and I want to resign. And twice I actually um, wrote my resignation and handed it in, and the trustees at the time convinced me to stay on. And um, I went through interferon treatment for hepatitis C, and um, that didn't work. So there was a lot of prayer that went up, you know, and I had... Um, because I'd had it for 50 years, I had cirrhosis of the liver, um, you know, from the yeah. damaging effects. Mm. And I hadn't known, so I wasn't careful. You know, I used to drink and take drugs, as I've told you, yeah. Yeah. and stuff like that. And um, so ten and a half years at the Salvation Army, I'm, all the projects are done. And, you know, when the projects are over and it's just about keeping it running... I began to lose the will to live. So I was looking for a challenge, and um, I woke up one night, and I had this, it was like a dream, but I really felt I heard God say, go to Maharangi West, I have something for you. So I just kind of kept saying to myself, oh, that's stupid, what do you mean, Maharangi West? So anyway, that lunchtime, I couldn't get it out of my head, so I jumped in my car and screamed off up north to Maharangi West, and I drove down every street, and every road on Maharangi West wow. just looking for, God, what is it that you have for me? What do you have for me? And I couldn't see anything. And I knew some people that used to live there, but I couldn't remember. So I thought, if I'll go and find them. And if I can find them, I'll go and knock on the door and say, God told me to come up here. Do you know what it's for? I was prepared to be that stupid, you know, because it was this mm, strong mm. thing in my head. And I um, couldn't find their place. Didn't, no, so I drove home thinking, what was that all about? But what it was was it started us looking north. You know, I'm right. thinking I'm going to die of hepatitis C or cirrhosis or something. So maybe we should buy a piece of land, sell our house, buy a piece of land, maybe put a caravan on it, go and do some travel, and then come back and maybe build a little cottage that I can leave for Maryland. Right. You know, yeah, this yeah. like heroic story. <laughs> <laughs> so we start looking and we end up buying this through a long chain of events we end up buying this half built house in um outside of Whangarei um, a mud brick wow. home quite a quite a 
run-down, beat-up old thing that the council was just preparing to condemn, and I managed to convince them that that um, I could work with them and you know bring it back to, to standard. The right. harder job was convincing Marilyn that it was a good idea, but um, eventually she could see the potential in this in this beautiful house and so um, I quit my job and we're going north to build this house and Arama was running into trouble and I'm wanting to quit yeah you know mm. and just go off and build this house and they say oh we're having trouble over there you know we've got a new guy who's the director there and you know the concept of community is not kind of gelling would you consider going for six months on your way up north and so we go oh yeah okay stepping stone six months just a stepping stone on our way north we're only doing six months and that's it so this is the third time yeah third fourth fourth time time. so each time we've left determined never to go back again Mm -hmm. and um so i didn't have scriptures, we didn't have this great call, I just had the sense in my heart that I heard God saying, I just want you there, and I'll bless you. So we went, so you know, like yesterday's guidance is not today's, you know, it's mm. different mm. every time, and so um, so off we go to Arama, and um, finally left six years later. <gasps> <laughs> And um, in that time, we've managed to, you know, we'd work at Orama, and then when we go on leave, we'd go and build our house and in uh, Whangarei, finish building the house, and we ended up with this, you know, beautiful house up there that we still haven't got to live in. <laughs> <laughs> so, I'm just running some numbers here, Bruce. Seven plus seven plus six, that's plus... Plus the, one or two. Yeah. Wow. Hmm. So it's quite a few years. But, I mean, it was quite an amazing journey. We had this real um, sense of God's call again. And um, it was incredibly tough. It was very, each time has been really sacrificial in a way, but this time was very sacrificial because Maryland's got this beautiful home Mm. up north. We are, we Must have been tough, Marilyn. Where we both want to live. It was. I was dragging my heels. Well, I've seen that place, and it is, wow. It's a lovely place. you want to say anything about that? I don't know. It took me a good 18 months to sort out with God. Oh, so it was <laughs> a bit was tougher that time. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Mm. What, what is the faith falling off the back of the bus? <laughs> <laughs> or just sick no, of the place or? no um the strange thing was i mean i for me i wasn't there reluctantly mm, because okay. um you know i i knew it would happen and that's why i didn't want to go there but this just this thing just rose in my heart and i could wow. see you know i mean and this place is so close to our heart we have such a level of commitment and we had some wonderful friends that were working there with us bob and lynn michener Oh yeah, well. And um, Bob and Lynn had turned up there in the early eighties. Bob and I went through Bible school together. Uh, we raised our families together. It almost brought us to blows. 
we ended up sitting down on the beach one day because we're thinking one of us is going to have to leave because you know we've got different parenting styles and you know our kids Mm -hmm. are you know having run-ins all the time and it's causing us to have run-ins and we sat down on the beach one night at Arama and we said you know what whatever happens about this we're not going to let it ruin our relationship whatever it takes we're just going to work this through and we're going to stay friends and stay committed and so you know we ended up leaving and they stayed for many more years and then when we restarted Arama they came back and then we went back for supposedly six months and ended up living and working with them and it was just really interesting if we hadn't had that time of reconciliation on the beach together because it was us two couples that really you know right were were there committed to seeing Arama through that time of of starting again, you know, and it was really interesting that God used us, you know, to do that together. So we worked together, and it was a really, really hard slog, you know, lots of right. lots yeah. of hard work, lots of long hours, and so on. But at the same time that God started this new journey with me, we had a friend that came, Mark Holloway, came and he shared about having conversations with God, about talking to God, writing down your conversation and writing down his answers. Wow. Um, And my response at the time was, oh, yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah, and I I have my own way of talking to God, thanks. You know, I've done all right so far. And and then one day, um, maybe a month later, I noticed Marilyn having conversations with God and writing things down and writing down words for people that God had given her and going and giving them to her and so on. And I just thought, what have I got to lose? So I got my computer out, opened up this page in Word and typed in, Good morning, Father. And then next thing I know, I've got two pages of this conversation. This is like my very first time. Well, he spoke back to you and boom. He spoke back to me and I just wrote down what I thought I was hearing and... And write it up. And um, the very interesting part of the journey, because I'm going to backpedal a little bit now. How are we going for time? Are we about three minutes? Oh, okay. <laughs> so that summer, because we had summer camps at Arama every year, my daughter had done a reconciliation DTS, a discipleship training school with YWAM in Belfast. And went to Israel on her outreach and was in the Palestinian side and saw the wall, you know, that they put up to separate the people. And she saw written on the wall, imagine if we loved, dot, dot, dot. And so that really moved her. And so she got that. She has that now tattooed on her wrist. Imagine if we loved. And we're sitting there thinking, what are we going to do? And she said, Dad, I think we should have a, a summer camp on community because it's on your heart, and we should call it Imagine If We Loved. So we did that, and a few people came, and it was was okay. It was quite nice. I'm walking out of the hall when everyone's just left, and I'm walking out to go back up to my house, and I say to God, what should we do now? What should we do next year? And he said to me, I want you to do it again on reconciliation. Right. And I thought, reconciliation? I don't know anything about reconciliation. So three months later, 
I start having this conversation with God, and and on the very first conversation, He starts to talk to me about reconciliation, and He says, "Go and see Dave Garrett and Brad Harmy, and talk to them about it, and they'll help you." So I went to see Dave Garrett because I knew him. I didn't really know Brad. I had met him once, but didn't know right. him. Yeah, and and um. Dave listened to me and he said, I think we better go and see Brad. So we went to see Brad and Brad said, I think you better come and talk to my mates. So we met at the Victory Christian Centre. That's right, I remember it. To share my vision with you and you were there. Wow. And you said this thing to me. You looked at me after asking me quite a few questions and listening to what you know God had said to me. And you said, um, we are men. <laughs> Do you remember that? Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> Actually, I said uh, we'll come out and test it yeah, first, yeah, see yeah. if it's legit. Yeah, and it turned out to be um, yeah. an amazing uh, experience, you know. Yeah. So yeah, so we've had the had these amazing events, and the whole the journey for me of learning to sit in conversation with God has been incredible, and I've got to know Him as personality the person of God in a way that I never dreamed was possible, I suppose. Wow, yeah. Because um, I said to him, well, I was having trouble sleeping at the time. I would often wake up at four in the morning, so I, I made this deal with God. I said, whenever I wake up at four in the morning, I'll get up and talk to you. That time is yours. Wow. And so I had this journey of, of talking with him, and I've just got like hundreds and hundreds of these conversations with God and that Imagine If event was a, a real example for me of listening doing what he said trusting him and seeing amazing profound results yeah um, yeah killed her because the, the impact of that the ones that came out to the island since coming back onto the mainland over what the last five years mm-hmm. has been astronomic uh, in whole communities of yeah. of seeing transformation through your uh, imaginative, mm-hmm. uh, who would have thought it would actually end up doing that that kind of work over over yeah. the last five or six years? It has been an, mm-hmm. incredible to observe uh, whole families and communities being positively impacted uh, for for change yeah. through. Um, making those choices to mm. tangata, improve quality of life through making a choice. And now you're speaking tonight saying that choice is God. Yeah. So you're bringing God clearly into that frame. Yeah. I, I think at the time we've got left, we've, uh, we've had some extra time tonight to, because it's an important story. Um, I think that uh, all our listeners will agree that, yeah, the reality um, you know, we we hear about the four walls and the, and the lovely coloured glass and the white dove and all that, blah, blah. <clears throat> but that's not the case with you guys and yeah. your story. And I think that's what we wanted to present mm. uh, here today. And, and let's, let's have an honest conversation about the realities of things that influence our life. And uh, for you, talking about faith and how that faith has got legs on and practically demonstrated. Mm. One of the things that blows me away is that you come to an island to get rehabilitated. It, it's like you just never leave that island. Mm. You're 
30 years later, you're on this island mm. as the director. The same mm. place you got rehabilitated, yeah. had children, got married, got mm. saved, learned management, learned directorship. Wow. Yeah. yeah that's, a hapu. Quite a journey. that's a hapu. Yeah. That's a hapu. a community. One of the things I've learned along the way is that, you know, people say um, the difference between the sacred and the secular Arama was always a place that talked about the kingdom of God, that there's no difference between what you do on Monday morning and what you do on Sunday morning. It's all in the realm of the kingdom of God, you know, coming from a servant heart. And so it's been, you know, quite a journey. For me, it's easy to talk about reconciliation, but reconciliation in the power of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit mm. is a very different thing. That's profound. You can know the principles, but you don't necessarily get the fruit. The fruit, the life is in the Spirit. And so for me, that was the thing. I can't take credit for what happened at Imagine If. All I did was do what God said. He actually did the rest. You yeah. know, And nobody was more surprised than me. <laughs> I remember. <laughs> Totally surprised. You guys know because you guys left the island. Yeah, yeah. And then we just carried on because we had more camps and it was just like busy time and oh, yeah, it was pretty yeah. good, but we can't think about it now. We just have to do this, you know. And then we got a call hey, we're all meeting in, um, no, why? No, Cambridge. Yeah. yeah. Um, come well, it didn't come stop. Over. It just kept going. One, everyone yeah. just demanded to get back together because they yeah. hadn't yeah. petered out. This hohonga roa, this yeah. reconciliation yeah. was. Transformative people yeah. were physically, mentally, psychologically, mm. and spiritually being altered mm. in front of our eyes. Eh? Mm. Uh, Absolutely, I remember Vinny, I think it was Vinny that said he thought twice about going because you know, conferences all end up being the same a whole bunch of people you don't know boring, one another, yes. boring. But, you know, he was just amazed because the friendships that came out of that, you know, the love for one another mm. um, and the ongoing relationships, yeah. he was just blown away. And I, and I just yeah. thought, you know, that's just, that's God. It's amazing. Yeah. Well, maybe that's a space here. I mean, we could take more time. I, I think it would be good is, so we don't rush it. We'll, we'll get you back again and, mm. and uh, we'll sh- mm. get you to share a, f- a few more mm. specific insights. Mm. Uh, but because you've been talking about this making space and reconciliation, um, what would be something that you can encourage our listeners in as we sort of finish up here uh, today? I think one of the th- principles that I've learned along the way about about faith is um, sometimes you just need to shake the tree to see what will fall out, see what God will do. doesn't matter how big it is or how hard it is, just give it a good shake and see what God will do. Um, it's really interesting now because here I am back working for the Salvation Army. Yeah. You know, we had $45,000 for our, to buy that section, you know, our first little piece of land, and God provided for that. Now I'm after $11.5 million to redo one of our buildings in Epsom, one of our places for homeless people, you know. So it's like, 
growth. And it's a bit further on than um, than forty five thousand dollars, which seemed like a fortune at the time. But um, yeah, he's the same God, and he's capable. He's capable of more than we ever hoped or dreamed, and it's the same with the the journey. Um, in terms of um, imagine if, I just don't believe it's over. You know, the circumstances have changed, we're moving on, but God is always bigger. doesn't matter what is in front of you, God is always bigger, and there's more. And for me, that's the, um, that's, you know, getting to know God, having these conversations with him is an amazing voyage of discovery into who he is, how big he is, and how amazing this person is that we call Father. Oh, kia ora. Well, we've been listening to Bruce and uh, Marilyn Christians. Thank you, Bruce, for sharing your life story. You know, it, it really means a lot. Um, we're humbled even here in the studio tonight. We've, we've heard bits of it. Uh, but to be able to, to come out here and, and, and speak boldly about something that, that has changed your life and is continuing to change your life. So, you know, if you're listening in, uh, you've got nowhere to look. Uh, Bruce and Marilyn say to look up. Shake the tree. Mm. Um, have a what do you say? Have a conversation. Yeah. Get a pen and a paper out. Yeah. At the table, maybe right now. Have a conversation. Tell them how mm. how it is. Um, kia ora. Well, usually at the end of every segment, we usually finish with a bit of a, a closing karakia. Merlin, would you like to maybe just uh, finish off for us? Kia ora. Father, we give you thanks that. Um We've been able to just share a little tonight of um, our journeys and especially mm-hmm. Bruce's journey and um, just where you've brought him from, the depths of despair into uh, just an adventure in his life mm. and, and seeing the way that you've provided in many, many ways. And um, we just thank you, Father, for the uh, just the journey of taking us in in conversation with you mm-hmm. and just would encourage people to uh, step out in that journey and, and have a conversation with you. We just ask your blessing on each and every person that may be listening tonight, Father, and those of us here in the studio. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah. Tēnā koutou, tēnā koutou, tēnā koutou katoa. Well, kia ora, thanks for listening in. Thank you for your patience. A little bit longer on the program uh, this week, uh, but uh, I think you know why. <laughs> so if you've been listening in, uh, pass this podcast around. Uh, get your cousins to have a listen in, those that need to hear it. Get the whānau around the table. Uh, have a listen in to Māori Initiatives podcast every week uh, where we sh- people share their lives and their journeys. Uh, to how they uh, reached Iratangata. So a way of improving how we live and doing that as whānau hapu together. Kia ora, see you next week.